more on skill, less on relying on your raw stats, you know? You know, get those special techniques down. Yeah. Um, Focus on one tier. Yeah, exactly. And I just, I got worked over a little bit by different people, you know? I, yeah. I got, I hyperextended my elbow, I got kicked in the balls, I got this giant swelling spot above one knee, I got a place in the inside of my mouth that's just like there's a piece of flesh missing now. Did you get punched inside of your mouth? No, you get punched in the mouth and then, you know, it sort of grinds against your teeth and it cuts into your the inside lining of your mouth. All right. That's also fine, I guess. I was really hoping that someone is working on some, like, real dirt nasty technique where they, like, hooked the inside of your face, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not... And not a... like the fish hook. I mean, like, they got you, like, right right behind the incisors. That would be a great... That's like a, a Takashi Miike movie or something, you know? Somebody kills a guy by putting his fingers up inside the roof of his mouth so hard it collapses. That's would, true. That would be awesome. And the recipient is too stunned to bite down, or, you know, this killer's fingers have burst through the top of their hard palate so quickly that they couldn't have done anything about yeah, it Yeah, they're they just sitting to. there seizing, you know, while the guy's laughing maniacally. Man, you know, I don't really like as, as much as I've, I've seen of them, the, the Takashi Miike movies, but it's sure as fun just thinking about horrible things that would be in those movies. Like, I really like the idea of a man being hung by, uh, hung by hooks and then having his back completely uh, destroyed by hot tempura oil. And then I watch it, and I'm like, maybe this isn't for me. <laughs> but just thinking about it is fun. Yeah. Um, that has nothing to do with this episode at all. I don't think we were dealing with any particularly nasty torture methods. Uh, and when I say this episode, I mean uh, the episode of The Big Bang Theory we just watched for this episode of The Big Bang Theory Theory. It's the show where I watch The Big Bang Theory. We try to figure out what people like. We're kind of getting closer to it. We don't totally understand it, but this one is actually pretty good, which is causing a lot of problems because neither of us really want to accept that it's good. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And what, what do we talk about? What do we see? What was today about? Well... Traditionally speaking, it's your job. To say I know. I just started asking questions, not thinking about the traditional structure of it, and I realized I put myself and you in a trap. You really, you really backed me into a wall there. All right, I'll do my summary then. Jeez. Uh, no, no. Maybe I should do the summary for once. I mean, it seems like you're offering me the chance. I need to work on it. I need to grow. God help us. Let my mistake be a point of growth. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to summarize this episode. So let's see. Good start. So what happens? Really think about it. So in the first. 10 seconds of the frame of the first frame i think the first shot is of a boggle board only all of the in- letters have been replaced by cryptic runes and they're all uh and there's a klingon dictionary on the table i want you to visualize in your mind the klingon dictionary in the center of the room of course the four main characters i mean it's actually leonard and sheldon's apartment kyle you're making all me four- upset <laughs> i feel like you're making a mockery of the thing that i didn't realize i took pride in of being able to talk about things at the most surface level as quickly as possible. What? I'm just talking about what happened in the episode. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet. So, so they start, so you realize from context clues that they're actually playing Boggle, but they're playing it in Klingon. And then they stop. And so the first person to read off of their list is, uh, Leonard. And Leonard says, I got Mokth and Toth. And they're all like, got it, got it. And uh, I can't remember what the third word was. Do you remember what the third word in Klingon that they... I sure fucking don't, Kyle. I don't know how you... I, I, I guess I can make some guttural sounds and hope that you just get the gist of it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's sort yeah, of the joke. Yeah, there was cock-talk all... and... Yeah, they're all monos, uh, monosyllabic. Which, to be fair, is pretty standard for Klingon. Not that I speak Klingon. That would be... No, that... but you know what's standard for it? What word did that just come from? 
You can't just pop that off as if that's a totally common well, thing. Every Everyone who's seen Star Trek has seen people speak Klingon. It's a lot of guttural, like, you know, monosyllabic words. Uh, or bisyllabic, you know, like bat-leth. Yeah. A bat-leth being like a crescent, you know, the crescent weapon that they fight duels with. And, you know, each bat-leth is usually, ter- you know, tied to a particular Klingon household. Is my this, understanding? This sounds like a really, really just shitty version of the, the, the Dunning Kruger syndrome, where someone who has a lot of Star Trek knowledge assumes that everyone else must have that same amount of Star Trek I, knowledge. At the very least, everybody listening to this show probably knows what Batleth is. I, don't, I didn't know what that was. I've seen some Star Trek. I, you really? Yeah. You don't know what that is? It's the little crescent. You know the Klingon. Well, no, I know that now. Yeah, because you explained it ten seconds ago. No, I don't know that most Klingon is monosyllabic. I've. I've dabbled in Star Trek, you know? I watched First Contact because I really wanted to see what it's like when a spooky robot babe gives Data skin just so she can blow on it and get him wicked horned up. Yes. I don't know the the, the the finer points of Klingon yes, grammar. your fetish for the Borg Queen has been well established at this Every, point. She's, she's sexy, and it's gross, but she is. It's also yeah. like the cover of that Star Trek, the StarCraft expansion with the... She was, what, like a, a sexy Zerg or something. The Queen of Blades? Yes. Kerrigan, yeah. Um, you see, you're like, oh, I can tell you about this in the backstory, and I'm like, some girl with alien dreadlocks that gave me pants feelings when I was a youngin. Like, that's that's my level of knowledge. That's fine. So then uh, Wallowitz goes, and he reads next in the order, and he has two words, uh, two words that they all have, and then one word that is actually a word in Yiddish, and there's a joke about dumplings there. Uh, yes, yeah, so the, the, the Yiddish was for some sort of meat-filled dumpling. Yes, and then Wallace tries to argue as to coincidentally also a Klingon word. So then before Raj get a chan- gets a chance to go, at this point in the episode, I think we're about 30 seconds into the episode. This is excruciating. <laughs> Why don't you tell him what happens in the episode, Nate? I don't feel like I can do anything anymore. Because the, the psychic pain is back, except it's coming from a source that should be of comfort and familiarity. Uh, well, yeah, so... You know, Boggle would have taken about half a second of my explanation. Uh, Penny comes over and they're like, ah, Klingon Boggle! But she doesn't give a shit because she's too excited to watch America's Next Top Model, which she can't watch at her own house because she doesn't pay the cable bill. And I guess that helps her afford the apartment that we don't understand how she lives in. And so they do that. Um, and then the guys get really into America's Next Top Model. And what should have been an A plot turns into a B plot when uh, Wallowitz and Raj decide that they are going to, they are going to stalk the America's Next Top Model candidates. They are using the positions of the stars in conjunction with military spying and um, surveilling hardware to find the America's Next Top Model house. Uh, and, and as that fades into the background, much to much to my own sadness, uh, what does come to the foreground is uh, Penny touches one of Sheldon's onion rings. And she can't do that. That's a strike. And that starts a war between her and Sheldon. Where she gets her second strike because Sheldon has a strike system. Uh, her third strike is She's refusing sitting, yeah. to sit anywhere that isn't Sheldon's seat. Because when the rest of the gang says, Penny, he's like this. Just knuckle under and put up with it. Penny puts her fucking foot down and says, I'm not doing this. And thus begins a war. And so then uh, Shenny and Peldon just basically... Uh, I'm sorry, who? Did I say Shenny and Peldon? You certainly did. And I'm sticking to it. So Shenny and Peldon start this this battle of fucking with each other. Where uh, Penny pranks... uh, No, excuse me. Shenny uh, pranks Peldon. 
by uh, filling all of the laundry machines on laundry night so he, he can't keep with his obsessive schedule. Uh, then he takes all of her laundry, uh, spe- specifically uh, her underwear, and hangs it out on a telephone uh, wire. And that goes back and forth until uh, Sheldon, I mean, Leonard gives Penny the, the secret kryptonite to conquer Sheldon, which is the phone number of his mother. So she then calls Sheldon, forces Sheldon to apologize. They make up, end of the episode. Except for the stinger, which in this point I think was actually a marginally satisfying stinger because it ends with. Uh, with Wallowitz and Raj having accomplished their mission and entering the America's Next Top Model house as a couple of cable guys following some woman down a hallway and then it fades out. Uh, and I think that's fine, but I really wanted the focus of this episode to be on them and their, 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 their creepy mission and partially succeeding while also having to come to terms with the dirt nasty things they're doing. Like the episode about Penny touching Shelton's food is fine. And I think it also worked well, but it was that was the that was a little disappointing for me. Overall, though, it was a pretty good episode. I you know it's, I was really starting to worry when I went through that slump for a couple episodes there. I was like, why do we do this? I mean, we always joke about how we're doing this to ourselves and we hate it, but when those episodes come along, it's like, really, what what are we doing with our lives? We should do something better. And then I watch this and I'm like, this is fine. You know, this isn't what I should be doing with my life. But on my deathbed, I'll go. And, you know, before the, the beeps stop beeping. How, how, how do you feel? Uh, yeah. No, I mean, that's yeah. all right. That, that pretty much sums it up. I mean, there was, it was, I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm a bad judge of what is an appropriate plot for a sitcom just because I don't watch that many of them. So I kept, like, at the beginning of this, I was like, well, it's highly unrealistic that they would get this obsessed with America's next top model if they want to meet pretty desperate people in los angeles they could you know pretty desperate women in los angeles they could do that literally anywhere that they like roasted sorry you just you just nailed la so hard there that i had to make a special note of it um so so when uh wallowitz gets so excited because there's this one house of them i was a little bit but then i remember that that this is actually how sitcoms are supposed to work is, you know, main characters commit to an unrealistic premise, you know, overcommit to an unrealistic premise, hijinks and sue. So I stopped judging them on that. Still kind of judging them on just how blatantly, like, the joke... Normally what happens in the Big Bang Theory is they introduce a joke like this, and yeah. then they immediately drop it, and it's unsatisfying, but it was just a weird feeling every time they came back to it to realize, oh no, they're really committed to this one. Like, they got this football, and they're running all the way to the end of the show with the uh, Wallowitz and Raj are, are, are slowly triangulating the location of the America's Next Top Model House, and Wallowitz is convinced that one of those women is going to be his future wife. I... I'm going to to call you out now as being a real wiener because I don't I think you can have it both ways here that you can you can enjoy whatever they're doing and their weird commitment to it while also understanding that they're doing a real weird creepy thing and I think it's the commitment to that that makes it worth watching because like if they're kind of like if they recognize that it's creepy then it's kind of uncomfortable or if they're not fully committed but that they are just purely into it. They're like, hey, we found a way to like hunt down these attractive women who are obviously going to be our wives once they get to know us based on all of the experience we have from our own lives. Uh, and just, just going for it. I, I, I think if, if, they, if they stopped, 
you know, then then what's your episode about? Or if or if they had a real, I, th- I think at most they could have a single moment of doubt which they overcome. That could have been part of the plot element. And if this were the a plot, it it may have been, but it wasn't. Um, but yeah, I don't like. Do you, do you need your media characters to be good people and to do good things? Uh, increasingly, like this is something I struggle with. I mean, admittedly, I understand like why that's a limiting thing. Like you you just can't have as many funny jokes. It also arguably the entire structure of comedy, as uh, Aristophanes would say, requires that the people you're watching be worse than you are. Otherwise, it's not funny. So comedy, by some theories, is based on transgressiveness. It's based on watching people be idiots and terrible people. So by expecting them to, you know, always uh, be moral, maybe I'm just asking for something that would be sanctimonious and unwatchable. So I'm grappling with this problem. On the, the other hand, what I'm grappling with is people actually get like not to bring down the whole fun episode we're about to have and talk about. But hey, hey, this is an ep- this is a show where we we both talked about weird sexual assault experiences. Yeah, so and that was still fun. That yeah, was a fun. So time. people actually get stalked in real life based on like re- like I remember reading a fa- I can't remember um I can't remember if it was on Reddit or on Tumblr or whatever, but there was this post that went viral where this girl talked about she had like four conversations with a dude at work. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that was the entirety of her experience with him. And then she found out that after she quit that job, he was so upset that he, you know, continued to look for her. He found her house, she moved to a new town, and like even before she got like there, she got to her new house and he was waiting on the front porch and she had to like hide and call the police cuz he had like he had like a whole plan for yeah. like how he was going to like you know talk his way into her. I think he also showed up like she went on a family vacation, like you know, like a wedding or like a reunion or something like that, and he followed her like with a, like to fucking Hawaii or something, you know, and showed up there. And she didn't find out until after it was all over that he had been there because it was just a misconnection. But he had been following her. The whole fucking time. So dudes do stuff like that. Not, I'm not I don't know well, how often it, but it's, but it's scary. But dudes murder people. I'm not sure it's funny. And and I I don't think you'd make the same objection to seeing people get murdered. You know, I guess that's what it. If this were a show that were like regularly playing with those boundaries, I guess that would be kind of funny. You know, like basically the people in. Uh, I mean, the show I always end up contrasting this to is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I have a hard time not bringing up that comparison also. <laughs> well, because that's a show about people who, are who like, just understand that they are so terrible. Like, the whole joke is how terrible are they going to be this week? Can they top how awful and cartoonish they were last week by doing something even more? So if there were a whole episode of, for all I know there may be, I'm a little bit behind. If there were a whole episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where they like murdered someone and were just trying to figure out the best way to get rid of the body and then never talked about it again. I think on that show that would be fair game because that's sort of where they are. But, but, I feel, but I feel like on this show they've already like done so much to establish that these are weird lonely creeps that just have no understanding of how they interact with the rest of society. Like, Wallowitz and Raj, they're, they're not there like, oh my god, I don't know if this is right, if we're going to get caught, or what's going on. Like, the thing is that they, they don't understand in spite of all the evidence around them. And someone, like, like Leonard at one point points out, and he's like, don't you think that's creepy? And Wallowitz is like, I don't know, do you really think it's that creepy to use military technology to fly over a, 
a, a, a stranger's house and find out where they're living so you can go and like follow them home and interact with them to make them your wife. And yeah, it obviously is. But he clearly doesn't get it. Um, and it's also not... I, I don't think seeing something like this either... I, I don't think it makes people into stalkers. I was also going to say, I don't think it trivializes it. That's not true. It absolutely does. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> but so what? I don't know. Like, I can understand how seeing this, like, could be triggering or something like that. But do we just not have bad things happen? Because everyone's going to be horribly upset by... So I've had a lot of horrible things happen to me. Right, and you are famously unable to contextualize all of the horrible things that happen to you and process them only as jokes because you don't know actually how to feel about it. I, I, no, I can, I'm sorry, I, that I, was I, a, I don't process... That was a, that was a cheap... I, well, that wasn't me trying to be a uh, cheap shot, but I realized I just hit you with a lot right there. I, 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 I do not, I do not process my horrible experiences only as jokes. I prefer to process them that way, so I don't just have to, like, roll up into a ball and cry as often. And it works, gosh darn it, alright? Feelings aren't real, and they shouldn't be experienced, and instead, if you have a problem, you should drag it out in front of as many people as possible, in hope that you describe it in such a way that they empathize you in a way that is hilarious, at the relief of not being you. And I feel like this show is pretty okay about that. Where I'm like, thank God that I'm not some sort of some sort of weird pervasoid that can't like understand the error of my ways and wanting to stalk out skinny, freakishly tall young women. It's, I don't. I think, it's, I think it's fine. Like, I, and I guess it. Like, if if you weren't going to have this behavior, you'd have to. You wouldn't have Wallowitz as a character at all in the first place. Like, you can't have the weird, creepy horn dog. Who nobody wants to sleep with. Uh, either, either he does nothing because he understands how it makes people uncomfortable. Or you make him like a sexy guy that gets what he wants because people want to sleep with him if he's a weird horn dog. Like I think that's the whole thing. Like the classic horn dog character is he's hapless and is essentially harmless no matter how bizarre he becomes. Yeah, and I guess that's the... I mean those people aren't harm. Like that's the main well, thing. No, it, no they're not obviously. In real life. Well, so but that's the so be so like you said so like trivializing and normalizing the idea of like it's all. I kind did. Of just I never funny. said normalizing, and I was hoping that word wouldn't come up. But yes, go ahead. Well, it's not a. This is not a. We're not going to solve this social ill today. Nor I have a feeling we're going to have this conversation about Wallowitz again. So we can move on for now. I'm just saying it is something that I personally watching the show always struggle with because yes, damn it. Thought it was kind of a funny... All of it was kind of a funny bit. I funny win. Art. I win. I win. <laughs> made me uncomfortable and made me wonder, like, if there isn't something that, you know... If a better show couldn't have figured out a way to have that joke and also render something more contextualized and meaningful out of that exact same arc. So I, I will go along with you on that part. Because, yes, it would be preferable if there was some sort of lesson... Or, or a character change by the end of it, which we both know there never is. But yeah, it's something that would shock Wallowitz and Raj in such a way, humorously, that they realize what they're doing is wicked creepy. Yeah, so what like, would that look like? So, I, so off the top of my head, I think while they are stalking these women, that they are also being stalked and uncomfortable with it. Like that could be like maybe a grad student or someone is after one of them, and they're so busy being re like repulsed by that, that it slows down their own progress, and eventually, like, they meet in the middle and realize that they're no different. 
Well, I was going to go into it. So they get to the America Top Model House and they infiltrate the place and they find that those women are tremendously unhappy, as you might expect. Just the thing that they were willing to exploit is so you, real because you, you, these people are desperate for fame and success and have this hole inside them that they are willing to basically, you know, you know, sell them, sell their souls on live television for just yeah. a glimmer of fame. And in that hunger, that emptiness inside of them, Wallowitz recognizes something. He's like, oh, the thing that I'm drawn to, it's like, I thought that having, you know, you as the future, like, I thought if I could just have you as a status symbol that it would make me happy. But I also see in you, you're just reaching for a status symbol. And I know that that's not going to make you happy. And so seeing that we're all just trapped in this giant web of longing for things that we're, that we tell ourselves are going to equate to happiness, but they never actually do. I have to get out of here. I don't feel good. This is all just ugly. Like, even, he could even make it into a joke. He just leaves and he's like, you know, those supermodels, they're just really, they just, they have weird priorities. They're overly obsessive about things that don't matter. And I just kind of, I don't know, it gave me kind of a bad vibe. I was and, sort and of then, creeped and out and by Sheldon how Sheldon would connect to that. That's like the one thing Sheldon would understand is like, yeah, they really are. It's like, they get hung up on the weirdest things. And then that would be your joke. Yeah. Um, but again, that would involve rewriting Wallowitz because I think you mentioned it really quick, but the, the, the emptiness that you're just describing is something he's counting on. He's like, you know, women get rejected from that show every episode. And that means there's going to be like a real sad, hurt woman leaving the house and I'll be there to make sure she's the next future Mrs. Wallowitz. Yeah. I mean, that's the, it's Wallowitz's inability to wreck. I mean, the weirdest thing, um, like the weirdest, mo- and is that it's not even... And we've, you actually, I think you're the right one. It's not even clear that he wants to have sex with these women. I mean, he does, but it's not clear that he wants to have sex with them for, like, the the physical pleasure of having sex. It's like, he wants to be able to say, yes, I'm fucking a supermodel. He wants to, like, you know... it's it, You know, if anything, it's it's a more noble goal because he is not pursuing the lowly pleasures of the, the flesh. Instead, he he wants the pure experience he wants to be able to tell others that he has lived through uh the the exploiting of the the pain of another woman <laughs> that's fine <laughs> so let's pivot to the actual main storyline of this episode which is basically a war breaks out between uh penny and sheldon yes because uh Penny decides she's not going to, unlike the rest of them. I mean, there's an interesting thing because this whole conversation basically starts because uh, Sheldon is like, look, now that I've, I'm forced to acknowledge that you're not going anywhere, I have to hold you to the same standards as the rest of the group. And so it's like, so for the first time, it's the first time that Sheldon like basically admits that like Penny is one of them. Yeah, yeah. Which is... Uh, Which is the, the, the others all kind of unenthusiastically celebrate Leonard isn't you're one of us now which again nobody likes Sheldon so so yeah so she takes one of his onion rings which well she try, she doesn't even get that far well but only because they stop her like yes. she was totally going to eat that onion ring and, and then boy but, but they stop her in a way that is uh, man I I worry that I'm too easy to go dark here but like really, like an abusive spouse no, it's or a parent, it's or something. like yeah, it's, yeah like, it's like no, no, don't make him mad, don't do it. It's don't like do it. yeah, don't touch dad's shoes. Yeah, this is one of the secret rules we have to prevent chaos. And they all agree that they're not going to say anything about it. Sheldon asks what happened to the onion ring, and they're like, oh my god, it was Penny. And thus the war begins. Yeah, that would actually be well. So now I feel bad because on the one hand, 
I actually feel like, at the very least, I mean, maybe he the whole strike system and their entire reaction to it. He has a lot of arbitrary rules. But that particular rule, don't touch my food without my permission, seems like a perfectly understandable, particularly if you're a high-strung, you know, person, uh, thing. So, so I think it, I think it could, I think you're right, but I also think the extent to which Sheldon is offended by it is ridiculous because I, uh, am one of those people who I think it's totally fine if you're in even relatively friendly company to, to share food and that there to a certain extent is, um, an implicit contract that, Hey, we are both having meals from the same place or whatever. If you steal a tater tot, I don't care because you know I'm just going to get paid back with a bite of your sandwich or a french fry or something. That's how it works. We're a society. But I also know people who are like, why did you cross into my airspace? Yeah. This is my safe place. But then the response to that is, don't do it. It's not, you have broken one of my sacred laws. And what you don't know is I've been keeping a record of this. And you are two-thirds towards the way of banishment. That's true. That's true. Which is what happens. Yeah, so then she decides she's going to, like, protest. Yeah, and, this is where she puts her foot down. And so it turns into a whole a whole thing. Well, because she immediately racks up her next violation, which well, is... Well, she does that on purpose. Yes, as, as the protest. And let me tell you right now, that's what protest is. It's, dis, <laughs> it's disobedience, and it's, it is making people's lives inconvenient. All right? If you got to protest, you should be in the road. You should be fucking ruining somebody's day. If it, P- Penny is goddamn, she is a s- civil rights hero. She was not willing to stand up to the oppression of this one white man who made rules that applied to everyone before they were allowed to consent to them. Yeah, you're kind of bringing me around on it. Hell yeah! Wait, were you against Penny? Uh, not, enti- not entirely, oh. but oh, tell me more. Why? I well, because need- it's not her. So Penny is the interloper. You don't like people touching your food. I don't mind people touching my food, but there are definitely. I don't like people touching me without my permission, well, and there I, are people who will fucking do that. There are like, there are like people who are just like, well, I'm naturally a hugger, so we're in hugging now, and I'm like, I'm in hell. Every second that your body is touching my body, I want to scream. Yeah, I, Stop I do remember, it. I do please. remember once you, you poking me when we were out of show, and then immediately apologizing for that even. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I'm, and I'm not making fun of you there, I'm just saying, I, I'm fleshing out, and I understand. But even more important, it's it's literally Sheldon's home. So it's not even like they're in a restaurant or some neutral space. It's like Sheldon's home, Sheldon and Leonard's that's, that's home. That's increased familiarity. Where she, where she comes, but it's like it's just like if you're in someone else. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's because I uh, I've spent too much time in the South. But it's like a person's home is their castle. You don't walk into someone else's castle and immediately start pissing all over their rules. But you, you need to, so at, at the very least, you need to know what the rules are. And to know that they've been applying rules to you for however long. And again, keeping a secret mental log of your violations. Yes. And, and, and they're rules that everyone else knew. So I'm not saying that the strike system makes sense. I'm just saying everything for which he gives out strikes and even his entire, like, even the, the way that people, like, explain to Penny... I mean, you did kind of bring me around that, but I was just thinking originally, the way that Leonard explains to Penny, like, don't escalate this. You can only lose by escalating the situation because he is a, he is basically a sociopath. And yes. you are... And, um, 
and, and you are a normal person, you definitely do not have the patience to see this through, is mostly... Yeah, and I can't remember the exact phrasing, but, but Penny says, and you all just lie down and take it? And he says, not so much as we knuckle under. And that's the whole argument from everyone who isn't Sheldon, is like, really, this is just going to happen, so we're just going to take it. And then you need someone who stands up and puts her foot down, and she says, no longer! So I guess what I'm saying is, if it were just, if this show were strangely just about uh, Penny and Sheldon, and it weren't like the rest of them also there, like inviting Penny into the space and being friends with her and having a use for her, if it were literally, if it were literally just like, Penny for some reason walks into Sheldon's apartment and starts watching America's Top Model and eating his food, and he's like, you gotta get the fuck out of here, you're banished now. Uh, it would be weird if she was like, no, we're at war. I'm not going to give you food when you come to my restaurant. Uh, I think we've gone long already again. So with this qu- in this quick little lull, while we acknowledge that this was actually a decent show for once, uh, for twice after the last episode, uh, hey, yeah, Facebook, Big Bang Theory, Twitter, BB Theory Squared, other things, maybe, probably not. Who knows? iTunes, that's a big one. Rate and review on iTunes. That... Does things to numbers that are helpful, I imagine. Well, we should work on that. I don't know. I don't give a shit about social media, though. Oh, okay. You know, or you could just tell your friends. The people listen to this don't have friends. We're lucky we know each other. <laughs> yeah. But do that if you can. Okay. It is time to wrap up. And so we keep saying happy thoughts. I think it's it's invariably nerdy shit we like. And I think to be more in theme with our own show and the show we watch, let's just call it what it is. This is like nerd interest corner or something. Fair enough. It's fair always enough. a video game or a movie or a comic book. Yes, I suppose that's true. It's like, a, so probably my favorite line from Wallowitz in this episode is, is, uh, is Penny comes in at the very beginning and Sheldon's like, you're interrupting Klingon Bobble. And Leonard's like, don't tell her we play Boggle and Klingon. And Wallowitz is like, Oh what? You think she's she you think she hasn't figured out we're nerds? That uh I didn't think about this when we were watching it earlier, but that just now reminded me of something, which is uh, I used to work in a video store and uh, a friend and I worked there together. We are no longer friends for other reasons. But this should have been a sign, which is uh we worked with we were like 19 and we worked with this uh, other attractive lady. She's a babe. Everyone had a crush on her. What are you going to do about it? And uh, one day, we, he and I were working together, and he was watching the Pokemon movie because he likes Pokemon. He also likes action figures. He's a nerd, and he likes nerdy childish shit. And she came into the store. So this is the first Pokemon movie, the one with Mewtwo? This was the first Pokemon movie, if I think. I don't, I, I don't know as much about Pokemon, so it could have oh, been any of them. Sorry. It was a Pokemon movie. And so a uh, cute coworker comes in, and she's like, oh, God, what are you watching? And my friend immediately is like, Nick loves that shit. I don't know. Oh, come on. Yeah. And what he, the fuck? And that's one of those things where it's like, yeah. you think she doesn't, like, you can pin it on me. And it's not unreasonable to assume I'm into Pokemon. But, like, do you think, do you think this is going to be the one thing that reveals you as not being a cool guy? That you've been keeping up appearances, if not for the dark secret that you also enjoy Pokemon? It's one of those things where, like, it's you're not you're not fooling anybody. There's no point in trying to hide that you're playing Klingon Boggle. It's clear that you're you're some sort of dweeb. Uh, and same thing with the Pokemon. Also, yeah, what a Judas. So 
Uh, yeah, no longer friends. But again, different reasons. So what's your nerd recommendation for this week? My nerd recommendation for the week? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't done anything too fun or radical. I guess, you know, what, what, I'll, what I'll say that stood out is um, it's my birthday recently. I don't think I talked about something on this last episode, so I'm going to say it still counts. Uh, I watch, I went to Halloween Horror Nights. Did we talk about that at all? I it, feel like we talked about it last week, but I could be You know, wrong. that sounds right. So I'm going to bring up a different thing just in case, which is... Uh, the day after my birthday, the the Nintendo Switch version of The World Ends With You came out. And I've been playing that, and I've got mixed feelings about it, but mostly positive. So for anyone who doesn't already know, uh, The World Ends With You is this game that came out on the Nintendo DS like 10 or 11 years ago. And I loved it. Uh, but it's it's a really kind of a silly game. It's, it's, a, it's a JRPG. It's Square Enix. You know, the guys that make all the Final Fantasies. Uh, but this is about Japanese teens living in modern-day Shibuya, a very trendy area of... Is it in Tokyo? I, I believe so, yes. Yeah, I, I think it's in Tokyo. And but they're, Well, it's not in Kyoto. I mean, my God. Silly Jesus me. Jesus Christ. But, the, but they all get trapped in some sort of game. And your, your character, uh, Neku, doesn't know why he's there or how he got there. And... Something I'm ashamed of is I remember like really liking the story and the characters, and I'm playing it now, and I'm like, what just an insufferable little crybaby I must have been to enjoy this. Because Neku, he's like probably like 14 or 15 or whatever, and his dialogue is just the worst. He's like, I don't need your help because I don't need anybody. People are just a liability. If you want to get anywhere in this world, you got to do it yourself. Others are just going to hold you back. And so the gameplay is still fun. But all the dialogue is me just like tapping through like fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. I just I just want to dash around the battlefield and and fight monsters that kind of look like graffiti. That said, it's still pretty great. It's fun. It's really bright. It's silly. I still really like the battle system. I especially like the experience uh, and loot system because it incur like you can turn down the amount of HP you have and that increases the drop rate which I think gets rid of a lot of grinding that I I do not have the patience for anymore as an adult. And so I would say if you played it on the DS, honestly, you know, not necessary to pick up again unless you really miss it like I did because it's not a better version than the DS version was. But if you haven't played it before or if you're really desperate to try it again, totally worth it. Pretty good game. So there's there's my nerdy thing for this week. What, what about you? So, I finally watched a movie that I've been putting off watching for, like, years, because it was just, it's one, there are some movies where it's just, like, the, it's, like, just engaging with them means also engaging with, like, all of the different people's opinions of that movie, and sometimes just don't feel like it. But I finally, I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna give this a shot. So I watched Drive. You're like, oh, you haven't seen Drive yet? No. Oh, to go on. So, and I, what I was sort of afraid of happened, which was I really, really liked it, mm-hmm. and now I'm worried I'm a pretentious asshole for thinking it's amazing. Oh, fuck that. But it, it is kind of amazing. It's a great movie. It, it's very good. Yeah. Well, I, I, I tend to, to stomp all over you when you bring these things up, and I'm already starting to do that. So please uh, elaborate, and I will chew on the inside of my own lips. So Drive is a film by Nicholas Reffin. 
Yeah, I think it was only it was his first breakout hit in the U.S., but there was some controversy around it because it was billed to audiences in the marketing as the story of a you know epic getaway driver and all of his hijinks. Sort of basically Baby Driver was how it was pitched. Yeah, um, but it is nothing like Baby Driver except for the very tangential opening scene where he's like a getaway driver. But like ninety percent of the movie, ninety nine percent of the movie is very different in tone and content. Mm-hmm. And it's much more art house, um, beautifully shot, uh, beautiful music, um, brilliant performance by uh, Ryan Gosling and yeah. all the other characters in it. And uh, Albert Brooks is just like a monster, like one of the greatest like villains I have ever seen in any movie ever. Just pops up. He's just like a complete sociopath in like a way that's amazing. Um, anyway, so there's a lot of... I basically loved the entire... Like, I literally... I was just like, I'm just going to watch five minutes of this. I ended up, like, watching the whole thing. I'm glad that it went well for you because I think I was avoiding the movie because I was in a phase at the time where it came out where I I think I distrusted a lot of popular critical opinions. And I still do to an extent. You know, everyone gets really excited about something and I'm like, it can't possibly be that great. And so I put it off forever and watched it. And I loved it. And yeah, it's... Um, I don't really know anyone who doesn't like that movie, but I know exactly what you're talking about with the, because I've also read up on that, the poor marketing, which is something I had to learn about again after you and I saw Hereditary, where apparently that was a similar thing. Yeah. Um, well, I, I remember Drive was sued. Um, I oh, mean, yeah, for like false advertising. Yeah, obviously the lawsuit never went anywhere. Probably got laughed out of court in like five seconds. But yeah, yeah, someone actually sued. Like, I paid money to see a movie that this is definitely in no way, shape, or form resembles. Yeah, and also that same director. I know his 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 movies following that were even more polarizing because he yeah. did even God forgives, which might be garbage. I haven't seen it yet, and then Neon Demon. Which apparently also a lot of people didn't like, but but friends I trust enjoy very much. Yeah, that's on my. So I have to watch those. I have to watch Valhalla Rising, which is his Viking movie, which is supposed to be pretty intense and yes, very critically divisive. I've heard of that. I had no idea that was him. So that's That's, good to know. He made a lot of. I mean, he makes a lot of different movies. They're kind of weird. The only two I've seen now are Drive and Bronson, and I I really love. He was Bronson. Yeah, that movie's great. Yeah. Okay, so you know, let's let's wrap up by bonding. On that, because for anyone who hasn't seen Bronson, uh, this movie is, is is near and dear to my heart because it's a, it's about a man who goes by the name of Charles Bronson, and he is the the longest living, longest incarcerated inmate in it's is it Britain? Yeah, yeah, and it's he's there for such silly reasons. Like he's definitely committed crimes, but the crimes he's committed are petty. But he's never going to get released because he's basically just such an asshole. Well, it's not, I mean, he just enjoyed, like, he has made it, like, everybody has their calling in life, and he has decided his calling is to fight as many, like, as many prison guards as he can. Yes. And there's a, there's a great scene of where he is demanding that a guard uh, butter up his entire body so then other guards can't hold on to him when he, when he fights and wrestles them. Uh, but it's not just him being dumb and mean fighting people. Like there's a lot more to it. It's I don't think either was said yet. It's Tom Hardy and he's fantastic. Uh, Super Hans. I don't know if he recognizes in that movie. Oh no, I didn't. Yeah. Who is he? 
I he's one of his like weird friends when he's on the outside for just a bit. I remember them going to some weird club together. Ah, oh, I think I know. Yeah, the might actor's name the is guy, Matt King. Might even be the guy who, who tells him to call himself Charles Bronson. Very likely. Um, Charlie Bronson. I also he's got that lisp. I I bought <laughs> I bought one of Charles Bronson's books about surviving in prison. And basically, it was do anything you need to live. Get as big and strong as you can. Drink your own piss if you have to. Whatever it is. But something that the movie doesn't get into is that apparently Charles Bronson is also just a real dipshit and a, and a hardcore racist. Oh, well. And so there's a lot of that. And yeah. I, I did donate that book to the Montana State Prison, hoping that someone will make good use of it. <laughs> I don't know if it made in through whatever contraband policy they have, but I, I, I hope that someone there is getting strong and drinking their piss for, I, for reasons that they choose to. I know that Tom Hardy apparently, like, in preparation for the role, actually hung out with the dude and they became, like, well, the prisoner, Mr. Bronson himself, said, oh, no, we're good friends now. I don't know if Tom Hardy would characterize their relationship that yeah, way. Yeah, we're but... loose pen pals. He writes to me, and sometimes I read it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't really know how to wrap up. You drink piss, you fight people, you watch movies that are great, even though the masses don't appreciate them. Well, I, to be fair, I only do two of those three things. Yeah, sure you do. Sure you do.